Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback. And if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. We'll be in chapter 16. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, as we can finish up the book of Romans. It's amazing we've made it through the entire book of Romans. What an awesome book uh, that the Holy Spirit used Paul to write so that we could have wisdom and understanding. Uh, What an amazing tool that God has given us for our lives. And I would encourage you, uh, if you haven't already, you can go to the website, you can go uh, to any of our social media platforms, and and you can go back and look at and listen to and do any of the studies. Today, we have our sermon-based studies for you to pick up because it's more than just this morning. Really, my goal is to get you energized, encouraged, ready to take on the week. But every single day, you need to, you need to eat, spiritually speaking. I'm, if you're just eating today, it's not that good. You need to eat every single day. So I would encourage you uh, to continue to dive into God's Word on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, starting the day in prayer and, and living the day seeking the kingdom of God, seeking His righteousness and seeking His truth. Uh, because physical food will give us life, yes. Spiritual food will give us eternity. And so we want to be filled with the light and the, the living water so that we can have true life, abundant life. And so I'd encourage you to take advantage of the fact that we have more resources today than we've ever had in the history of the world. God has allowed all of these technological, technological uh, advances so that we can study God's word more, have more resources, more availability, more time that we can focus in on him. And so let's take advantage of that and not miss out. Well, today as we look at... Uh, Romans and consider that that place, that time, those people, we also look and see ourselves. Last week, we looked at those similarities between the United States and Rome. And as we think about today, Memorial Day, we recognize that this country was birthed through sacrifice. This country was birthed through those who were willing to give their very lives. And I looked it up because I, this is, these are things I am interested in, and I'm sure that these are things that, that are important to you as well, uh, because we don't want to lose sight of what we're talking about today. We don't want to lose sight of what all these things mean. And so as I looked it up, I, I found that these are the statistics for those who died in the wars that we are connected with. In World War II, there was 291,557 deaths. 291,557. In the American Civil War, there was 214,938 deaths. World War I, there was 53,402 deaths. In Vietnam, there was 47,434 deaths. In the Korea War, there was 33,686 deaths. In the American Revolutionary War, there was 8,000 deaths. In Iraq, there has been 3,836 deaths. In the War of 1812, there was 2,216, these are recorded deaths. The war in Afghanistan, there was 1,833 deaths. In the Mexican-American War, there was 1,733 deaths. And there are more, more conflicts, more things that we're involved with that had death. But that gives you the perspective. It wasn't tens or hundreds, but thousands, tens of thousands, and even to hundreds of thousands of lives lost. 
And so this morning as we think about that, if we recognize and we just take a time, because I believe one of the reasons that Jesus established the church, us, a body of people gathering to, to worship God and to study his word is so that we would not forget who we are and where we've come from and how things got to be the way they are. And if we are at any point to overlook the fact that we have freedom like no one has ever had freedom, there are places in this world today that don't have a close to the freedom we have right now. There are many people on this planet that would die to be able to freely gather and talk about Jesus by his name and read from his word. There are so many people throughout all of history that would have done anything to have what we have at this moment. And so we don't want to overlook that. We don't want to oversee that. We want to recognize the reason that we have these privileges, the reason that we have these rights is because men and women were willing to sacrifice for them to the point of death. And so we should be grateful and we should be thankful and we should recognize that freedom isn't free, is it? It is something that comes at a very great cost. And we can easily fall into the trap of not recognizing the importance of who God has put into our lives to allow these things to take place. And so let's be thankful and let's be grateful. And as we come to his word today, um, we're going to be talking about Romans chapter 16, the edification of the church, the responsibilities of the church. But before we go there, this is also Pentecost Sunday. I don't know if many of you knew this. This is Pentecost Sunday, just like we are uh, memorializing those who paid the price for the, the United States to be birthed and founded. We also memorialize today the fact that the church was started on Pentecost. And Pentecost is the reason we're in this room. And there's a lot to be known and to understood that why we're here, there's so many things that God has orchestrated for you and I to be in this room. We don't want to miss it. The world would distract us. Our own flesh would distract us. The headlines would distract us. Our appetites would distract us. Our problems would distract us. We need to cast all of those distractions away and focus on what God has for us today. Because if we can receive it, if we can receive these truths, if we can absorb these truths, we can be transformed. And we can be fully uh, committed to the spirit and trueness of God. And so the question I have this morning as we go into studying uh, God's word together is, what does God want us to know about his church? What does God want us to know about his church? So before we go into that, let's precede it in prayer. Ask the Lord to guide us as we study his word together. Father God, you are awesome. You are worthy of our time. You're worthy of the oxygen it takes to speak. You're worthy of the chemical reactions that happen in our brain to have thoughts. Um, you are worthy of our calories that we use as energy. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of praise that we will sing to you eternally. You are worthy of our time right now. Lord, help us not to be lied to and believe those lies. Help us to only hear the truth and know the truth. Lord, help us to be aware of your presence and, and Lord, open to your Holy Spirit's guidance as we study your word. Lord, we know that you said that it will not return void and that you want us to be doers of this word. And so, Lord, as we study together, I pray, Lord, that you would transform us into the image and likeness of your son so that we then may carry this truth into the world and that we may be your ambassador as salt and light. And Lord, that we would be able to love you more in this moment because of our dedication to you. Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you as their Savior, they haven't begun uh, that relationship, they have not confessed and believed, I pray, Lord, that you would make it clear to them what that means so that they can come to you today. But we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you have your Bibles, keep your thumb or something in Romans 16 because we will be uh, there most of the time. But I want to set this up today because we really need to understand the totality of the church as we see today is Pentecost Sunday. And and I want to dive into what that means and what that looks like. So first, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 19. Now, I don't have a slide for this because I I actually wanted to add it a little bit later than I prepared the slides. So the first Exodus won't be there. The second Exodus chapter will be on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can just follow along. Uh, This is first Exodus 19.16. And to set this all up, Passover has happened. If you know the chronology of the Bible, this is when Joseph brought the people into Egypt because there was a famine. They were there for 400 years as slaves, and then Moses, by God's grace, came in to free them. And the last of the curses, the last uh, of the punishments for Pharaoh was the firstborn to be uh, put to death over that night of Passover. And so Passover was to take place, and after Passover, there was a journey out of Egypt And Pentecost, the Greek word penta meaning 50, this is seven Sundays or seven weeks past Passover. So Passover has happened. They've left Egypt. Moses is taking the people out of Egypt. They're on their journey to the promised land. And now this is the next event that takes place as Pentecost takes place for the first time. Exodus 19, 6. It came to pass on the third day when it was morning that there were thunders and lightning and a thick, thick cloud upon the mountain, and a voice of a trumpet exceedingly loud. And all the people that were in the camp trembled, and Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the, the neither part of the mountain, and the mountain Sinai, and the whole of it smoke because of Jehovah descending upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And Jehovah came upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and Jehovah called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And so what we see here is this journey out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. The Passover has taken place. Uh, They have been freed. They are new people. They're no longer governed by Egypt and Pharaoh. They have uh, God as their leader. They have God as their king at this point. And Moses is confronted by God at Mount Sinai to come up. And, And what's this picture we see of the mountain? We see smoke and we see lightning and we see trumpets. And we see the people are quaking in fear because of this power that is being revealed in the world, that God is revealing his nature. He's revealing his truth to the people. And this is unique and it's different and it's overwhelming and it's, this is a great event. This is, this is a very important event in the history of the church, in the history of, of our foundation in the Torah, that God is showing up. He's showing himself to his people and he's beginning to give revelation, we know, of the Ten Commandments, Right? That, he's gonna, that Moses is going to go up and he's going to meet with God and God is going to reveal these 10 defining traits of what God expects, the law, right? And so this is what's taking place. But as we fast forward to Exodus, and it'll be on the screen, or if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 32, verse 7, here's what it says in Exodus 32, verse 7. The Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people... 
you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them, and they have made themselves an image of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people, and they are indeed a stiff-necked people. So Moses goes up the mountain. There is smoke. There is fire. There is this power of God being revealed. He meets with God. God gives him the commandments. At some point, God says, you got to go back down because while you were gone, they decided, along with Aaron, that they should melt down all their gold and make this golden calf and worship it as their idol, as if this golden calf, this false god, had led them out of Egypt into freedom. Do you think this pleased God? No. So we see the, the first Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is the harvest festival. It's not completely connected, but we do see that this is the time frame in which all this took place, is that 50 days after Pe Passover, Moses meets with God to go up to Mount Sinai. He gets the Ten Commandments. He then comes down, and this is what takes place. After Moses has basically yelled at Aaron and said, what were you thinking? This is a horrible idea. How could you have been so foolish? Why did all of you do these foolish things? Here is the end result of the law being revealed. Exodus 32, 28. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and when about 3,000 men fell dead that day among the people. When the law was birthed on the on Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments were given and Moses came down and he broke the tablets and he had to go back and get new tablets. When he finally came down to deal with the Israelites, 3,000 of them were put to death because of the law, because of the breaking of the law. The establishment of the law was the revelation of our rebellion to God. The law was given to show that we are unrighteous people. The law was given by God to show us we are stiff-necked people. How quickly we turn to sin. How quickly we turn to selfishness. How quickly we turn to pride. How quickly we turn from Jehovah God to putting our, ourself or something like money or our job or our, our happiness in the place of Jehovah God. And so it's an interesting story that the law was given and when the law was given, death was brought through the law. So now we fast forward, the, the second Passover, the second Passover being when Christ, the true Lamb of God, was sacrificed for our sins. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Fifty days after He died on that cross, fifty days, we call it Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday, Acts chapter 2. Let's listen to the description here of what was going on. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Interestingly enough, suddenly a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues with flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues 
as the Spirit enabled them. The first Pentecost, the the first 50 days after Passover, God spoke to the people, and the people were afraid, and the people were rebellious, and the people were stiff-necked, and they didn't listen to God. Then, when Jesus died on the cross, rose again, ascended into heaven, 50 days after he's done this, his close disciples are meeting in a room, and they're praying to hear from God. And something like smoke and fire becomes upon them, and they begin to speak the words of God. They become the vessels of the Holy Spirit of God. And it is by the grace of Christ that life is birthed. Because look what happens. In Acts chapter 2, verse 40, here's what happens. Many, and with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from what? This corrupt generation, so that those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Smoke on a mountain, fire, power of God, the word of God descending. The law breaks and kills. Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, 50 days, meeting in a room, smoke falls, fire falls, God's word is declared. 3,000 are given in life. 3,000 killed under the law. 3,000 saved under grace. Do you see the difference of what God has done through the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you see his purposes in the very beginning that all of it is tied together, that this is not a, a random event? These are all events that are orchestrated by God on purpose to reveal to us his nature, our nature, and what can be. Do you realize today, if you continue to live under the law, if you continue to impress God with how good you are, if you continue to seek your own righteousness, if you continue to to be overly religious thinking that somehow your goodness will make you right with God, it'll the same thing that happened to those at the first Pentecost will happen to you. It is not until that we confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Until we repent and say, I am lost. I am a sinner. I need the salvation that can only be given to me by grace, unmerited favor, a gift I didn't deserve, something given to me by the one that I could not get it myself. The church was started as a revelation that only God can overcome the law for us. Only God can satisfy the law. Only the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross can satisfy the law. And so today, we're in this room, today, 2,000 years later, we are still declaring the grace of Jesus Christ. And this is Pentecost Sunday. This is the day uh, all over the world churches celebrate the fact that the birth of the church began. That when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overtake it, this is the event that took place for us to be a part of today. He had, the, the gates of hell have overtaken it. Do you realize the church is growing like it's never grown? As, as, as upsetting in the United States and Europe as things are, China, the church is growing at an immense rate. Africa, the church is growing at an immense rate. India, the church is growing at an immense rate. Christianity is growing today faster than it has ever grown, maybe not in our country, but in most of the world. And so we're to celebrate the fact 
That for even those first, so the church starts for the first 300 years. Guess what happened to those Christians? Those believers, the first church. Guess what happened to them? They were fed to the lions. They were burned alive at the stake. They were sawed in half. They were pulled together, pulled apart by horses. All of these horrendous ways of death occurred to them. But why would they willingly go into that kind of pain and suffering? So that you and I could have the gospel today. So the church could advance. They say the church was birthed on the blood of the martyrs. The church grew in fields of blood that was given willfully because of people's love and desire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today we celebrate the fact that people gave their lives for our freedom, but we also celebrate the fact that there is a truth of the gospel that has been given to us because men and women willfully gave their lives for the gospel. There's so many beautiful connections. There's so many things for us to connect to. But my real question, my real question is what about us today? What about you and I right now? What is our response? What is our responsibility? And that's where we get to Romans chapter 16. I believe as Paul finishes his letter to the Romans, he's giving them some clear direction. He's giving them clear insight into what he he knows the Holy Spirit has revealed that the church should and shouldn't be. How the church should act and how it should not act. And here's what we see if you, if you want to turn into the New Testament to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16, verse 17. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create division and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them. Because such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. This morning, we're here because people gave their lives so that we could have freedom to gather. We're here because uh, those in the early church were willing to give everything for us to be here. Now we carry that mantle, don't we? We carry the responsibility of keeping the bride of Christ healthy and full of life. We have a responsibility to grow the bride of Christ. We have a responsibility uh, to unify the body of Christ. And here we're told to be on guard because the enemy still attacks. The war still wages. The battle has not been completed. Until Christ's return the second time, the battle will not be completed. And so a house divided cannot stand. If we come together and declare that at Pentecost this was born and that we are saved by grace and that we are children of the Lord and that we love each other just as the Lord loves us, then we have no place for division and backstabbing and, and, and talking poorly of each other and, and demising and, and diminishing each other. You see, the, the temptation of every church in the United States and, and probably over the world is not heinous sins that we would say, well, that's a terrible sin. It's gossip. It's, it's hypercritical behavior. It's finding the faults in everyone else. It's in tearing down your brothers and sisters. It's in, in omitting the opportunity to encourage them 
omitting the opportunity to support them, omitting the opportunity to uplift. He's saying, be so careful because there will be those who want to enter into this beautiful thing, the bride of Christ. There will be those who will want to be a part of this organization, this body of the church, and they will come in and they will be smooth in their talk. They will have a personality. They will be someone that is appealing and, and they will use flattery and yet they will create division and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you've learned. What have we learned? We've learned to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Even greater, Christ says, uh, love each other as I have loved you. Sacrificial, selfless love. And so there's this, there is this danger within the church that those would come in to try to upset and destroy and divide. And so we are carrying that on. What shall we do? How shall we move forward? Because a house divided cannot stand. Those are the words of Jesus. We've lived in a time, the Revolutionary War broke us from England. The Civil War broke us in half. We are at a time probably today that we're just as divided as we were during the Civil War. There, this is a time where I believe there are people in our country that would uh, hate other Americans more than outside enemies. Who do you think is the author of that? Who do you think is the one that is fueling that fire? It is the enemy. It is the deceiver. Do you know what the deceiver did in heaven? He deceived the angels by smooth talk to divide them a third to be cast out. What did he do in the garden? He deceived Adam and Eve to bring division between God and man. His approach, the enemy's approach, has always been the same. Divide and conquer from within. Divide and destroy from the very inner parts of the body. And so as believers this morning, if we recognize we have this immense freedom, we've been given this immense uh, pleasure that we can meet and gather so many wish they could have this, and yet we've also been given by the founders and the, the establishers of the church such a blessing of the gospel and the truth of God's word. Now we hold this beautiful, wonderful thing, this treasure in our hands. We hold this treasure here today. How will we protect this treasure? How will we make sure that it is not diminished, divided, or destroyed? How will we take care of the very precious thing that God has given us to be a part of the body of Christ, to be part of the bride of Christ? How will we protect it? How will we make sure that these things don't occur? Paul then gives an edification. He gives a clarification to all of us as he closes out his letter to his most beloved Rome. Here's what he says in verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and to the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mysteries kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the commandment of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever. Amen. There was a mystery. Sometimes I consider the fact that because we have God's word, we become callous to the fact that many people that have lived on this planet did not know where they came from, why they were here, or where they are going. 
You would be shocked if you were to talk to most people. Many people today have no clue of where they came from, why they're here, and where they're going. Basic questions, probably the most quintessential questions of life. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Paul reveals at the end of his letter that through the mystery that has been revealed through the scriptures, you know where you came from, you know why you are here, and you know where you are going. You know the origin, you know the purpose, you know the destination. Now you must live with that truth day to day. You must begin the day knowing, I know where I came from, I know where I'm here, and I know where I'm going. You must go through the challenges, the ups, the downs, the adversity, difficulties, the hardness of life, knowing I know where I came from, I know why I'm here, and I know where I'm going. I must love my enemy. I must love those who, who despitefully use me or say all kinds of terrible things about me because I know where I came from. I know why I'm here and I know where I'm going. This is how, this is how what they have done will not die in vain. This is how what they have died for the revolutionaries, those who sacrificed their life, the early church, the soldier on the battlefield, all of these things that got us to today, their sacrifice will not be in vain if we live with the truth of, I know where I came from, I know why I'm here, and I know where I'm going. Do you feel that? Do you sense that? Do you recognize that life is a great gift, but it is also a great responsibility. Life is not mundane. Life is not boring. Life is not a waste unless we choose to make it a waste. Life is precious. Life is to be, to be received and used for the glory of God. Today, we are given the privilege of recognizing why things have happened to get us here and what must happen for them to continue. Do you realize in this room how much influence there is? There's, even though this is not a lot of people comparatively, this is a lot compared to 12, isn't it? 12 got us here, and there's, I don't know, a couple billion people that are going to name the name of Christ today. Why? Because they knew where they came from, they knew why they were there, and they knew where they were going. Why would they allow themselves to die in such horrible ways when they could have just recanted and said, I don't believe it? Why couldn't they just walk away and say, this isn't paying off for me? This thing is not a good deal. Because they could see past the temporal and see the eternal. They could see what has not yet happened, but they were promised by God himself what would happen. And so this morning... Thinking about the past is a wonderful thing to do. But honoring the past by living honorable today is much better. I honor those men and women by being honorable. I honor the sacrifice they've given by being honorable. You honor what has come before you by being honorable. Honorable is not easy. It's sacrifice. But it's powerful. We as a church honor the men and women who gave their lives for our freedom 
by being an honorable church, by honoring the Lord with our actions, with our words, with our finances, with everything about us. We honor the Lord because we recognize we carry the mantle. We carry it. And if we're to fall, who will pick it up? We have a great opportunity. We have a great responsibility. And we have a great God that will help us because by his grace, we've been saved through faith. How do we apply this to our life? How can you and I apply? First, do you know every time they met to pray, the first thing they do was give thanks to the Lord? Do you know the best way to start a prayer is to thank God? We live in a culture that is just really easily unpleased, right? It's not good enough. It's not the right flavor. It's not the right temperature. It's not, we're very uh, particular about things. Do you know, I always tell my kids this, the opposite of complaining is thankfulness. So if I'm complaining, I'm doing the opposite of the thing that God most wants me to do. And so I must begin that conversation with recognizing that it is by you that I have freedom. It is by you that you created these people that sacrificed for me that I may have this today. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. What an awesome gift. What an amazing truth. None of the things, as Paul said, none of the hurts and challenges of this life compare to the wondrous glories of what you have given. They don't compare. The hardships, the, the, the challenges, the obstacles, they do not compare to the wondrous glories of which you presented. They don't compare. Thank you, God. Thank you that today is the day you've created. I will rejoice and choose to be glad in it. Secondly, commit to building unity in Christ. Be careful um, that cynicism and criticism don't sneak into your heart. Good Christian people, good, good Christians, knowledgeable, loving people can be open to these things entering into their hearts. And we have to be so careful and ask ourselves, does this build up or tear down? Does this establish or does this destroy? What is my desired result by saying this? What is my desired result by doing this? Am I encouraging? Am I pushing forward? Or am I pulling back and hurting? This is a challenge. This is where we've got to be accountable. This is where we've got to love each other and, and be encouraging to each other that, hey, maybe you haven't seen, but this is something you want to think about. We need to work on. I include, you, you can, I will put myself out and say, look, Mike, you need to work on this. Build people up. Don't tear them down. Encourage them. Don't undermine them. Celebrate them. Don't be, don't be a bully. You're not their judge. You're not their critic. You're their brother and sister in Christ. They need your love and support and tough love sometimes, but a lot of times they need someone that will listen, support, and encourage. Commit to building that unity. Don't let the enemy in to distract you. And then finally, Help strengthen the church. I think one of the challenges in the, in the church in the United States is, is the pastor-driven. My prayer is that if I wasn't here, this would be just as strong. This is not Mike Bailey. This is not any single leader. This is us. This is us. We are as only as strong as the body is together unified. 
It doesn't matter if you have a strong toenail if your liver is about to go out, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter if your eyes are great, but every other organ is about to shut down, right? We need the whole body to be healthy. We need the whole body to recognize its importance. We need everyone within the body of Christ to see that they are an integral and vital part of the health of the body. And that means that there's no one overlooked. There's no one that doesn't count. There's no one that doesn't matter. Every one of us in this room matters. You have been brought here by God for a purpose. And his purpose is to establish himself on earth so that the world would know the gospel. And that disciples would be made, that, that people that are Christ-like would enter into the world and people would say, why are you like that? Because Christ. I'm like Christ. That's what we've been created to be. That's what we've been created to do. And so this morning, committing, helping the church. If you're weak, we're weak. If you're strong, we're strong. Let's encourage each other to be strong, committed to each other, committing to gathering together, committing to praying together, committing to serve together. I was so encouraged yesterday. I wasn't able to be at our event. And yet it was, from what I hear, an amazing, wonderful time of fellowship. That's how it should be. That we are getting together and building deep relationships and, and beginning those new opportunities of growth and discipleship that the Lord has allowed. What an awesome thing that God is doing. But it's a commitment. It's like anything in life. It doesn't happen if you don't pursue it. That's why Jesus says in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He doesn't say, just sit back and wait for the kingdom to show up and it'll take care of you. He says, seek it. When you seek it, you will find it. The problem with me is I like to seek a lot of other things that aren't the kingdom. They're my own kingdom. And that's what we have to confront. And that's what we have to deal with if we want to carry the mantle of what it is to be the church. The church is not a building. The church, actually, the word is ecclesia, which means a group of people on a mission together. A mission to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all need to take that seriously. We all need to receive that into our lives. And so this morning, so much has been placed in front of us. We are really uh, very high up. The pillars have been built, and we are on the higher level. But still, we have great responsibility. And still, we have great opportunity. What is the Lord saying to you this morning? See, the beauty of it is he can speak in his is still quiet voice into your heart. And he can begin to stir something in it. And he can inspire you, or he can bring healing or conviction. But all of these are useful tools for the strengthening of the body, for the edifying of the body, so that we would be strong and we would be prepared to be his people, to be the light and salt we've been called to be.